Welcome to Matthew's World of Wine and Drink, an educational podcast dedicated to teaching you all about the world of wine, the different grape varieties, the different regions, and the history and culture of wine. Continuing my series of interviews with winemakers to give us insights into winemaking, I'm joined by Katie Nelson, who is the Senior Director of Winemaking for Innovation at St. Michelle Wines Estates in Washington, overseeing Born of Fire, Intrinsic, and other wine brands. Now, for the first time, I'm doing a phone interview, so I'm joined by Katie all the way from Washington State. Uh, so, Katie, can you just um, introduce yourself? Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Katie Nelson. I'm uh, Director of Winemaking for Innovation in Patterson, Washington at Columbia Crest Winery. I've been making wine in Washington since 1997, um, originally from California, where I worked at a few wineries in college. I've been making wine here ever since. And so, how long have you been making wine? So I began making wine in 1994 down in Sonoma County, where I worked at a couple wineries in making Zinfandel down there during college. I went to Sonoma State University and was a chemistry major, knowing I wanted to get into the wine industry early on. And um, was into science and loved the idea of how you could go out to the vineyards and bring farming in and create this amazing wine from all that and be able to interact with the public and share what, I, what I'm doing with everybody, you know, out in the market. So I love that. And what took you to Washington? So in 1997, my sister talked me into moving to Washington, which at that time was relatively new in the wine industry. It was small. There weren't as many wineries as there are today. We're near a thousand back then it was closer to a hundred. Um, so I moved up to Washington and with my sister and got a job at a winery in Woodenville area who moved me to Eastern Washington to work in the lab there in 97. And so now you're at Columbia Crest. So how many great varieties do you work with at Columbia Crest? At Columbia Crest we work with most great, great varietals grown in the state of Washington. We don't work with Pinot Noir, um, it doesn't do well in our climate, but most every other red grape varietal, such as Petit Verdot, we do a deal with Petit and a lot of different Rhone varietals and Bordeaux varietals, so we're always constantly experimenting and playing, being the hub of innovation here, getting to try new things and see, see what we love and be able to bottle it to share with people. As far as whites go, we work with a lot of different varietals as well. I love Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, just the key. So probably we're playing with about 50 different varietals in a, in a given vintage. And how do you handle that in the winery, all those different grape varieties coming in over the harvest? Is it logistically difficult? Um, no, we have, we have a group of people that go to different air, you know, viticultural areas to monitor the fruit at least weekly. We work with our viticulturists and growers very closely able to pick everything at the right time. Um, I'm constantly running around in the vineyards during harvest. We have it, we're able to schedule fruit when we want and bring it into the winery. We have a lot of very small tanks here, um, a lot of different different formats. We have concrete and teeny tiny uh, tanks. We have a reserve winery that we're able to do small, smaller lots and then we have our production tanks as well. So logistically it's just I think the same as any winery, how we handle things. We just get to play with a lot. And Washington is quite unique because um, all the wine is grown in the eastern parts of the state, 
but the wine is made usually in the western part of the state. So again, does that have any logistical difficulties in transporting grapes and keeping them healthy? Yeah, more and more, I think, the wineries are making wine on the east side of the state. There's a lot of tasting rooms on the west side of the state, but people want the wineries closer to the fruit for gentler handling. So, yeah, over here, we, we make the wine over here at Columbia Press, and we grow the fruit just around the winery. So it makes it pretty easy with picking to delivery times. And so um, I just wanted to focus on Cabernet Sauvignon because it's such an important grape um, in Washington and elsewhere. And how do you find uh, Cabernet Sauvignon in the vineyard? Is it an easy grape to work with or are there problems in the vineyard with it? I find it relatively easy to work with in a vineyard. Um, I think our climate in Washington is very well suited to Cabernet. We don't, in the eastern part of the state, we don't get a lot of rainfall. We're typically six inches of rain a year, so it's relatively dry. We can control the irrigation through drip irrigation in most of our vineyards, so the timing and when we apply the the water to the vine. Our season, right about now, I'm waking up in the morning with a jacket on already, but we get 100, 110 degree days in the summer months, and we get this. People that come to Washington are always blown away by our sunsets being at 10 o'clock at mm-hmm. night, so we get these long, long days with amazing ripening, and then this time of year, it just cools off a lot at night, so we're able to preserve that in acidity, pick at, I think, what's moderate bricks, so we're not picking too bright and getting really high alcohol contents in our wines, and we get to hang the fruit throughout the season. So I think Cabernet is actually very well suited to our climate. You mentioned to me that uh, this year in Washington, Budbrake went through all the way to the second week of June. How does that compare with, for instance, Napa Valley? How much later is that? I think we're, that time of year, because we come out of a lot colder winter climate we when I was with I was with people at Cal, in California at a meeting we were talking about I think we were about two weeks later than they were mm-hmm. but then during the summer months I think we really get this great ripening period and we I would say catch up and so when do you pick Cabernet Sauvignon generally um October I like to wait until October for most of our Cabernet picks and does that vary from AVA to AVA within Washington do you find much regional differences? For sure, for sure. I definitely like to work with, we work in a lot of different sub-AVAs within the Columbia Valley, um, higher elevation, places up north that ripen later. I think the horse heaven usually tends to ripen earlier. The tannins kind of resolve and come around a lot faster than some of the other regions that have a lot more structure to the fruit. So I'd say the overall picking window I guess the interval would be about six weeks from first in to last in. And which is the last? Uh, the Board of Fire, typically last. And um, why, why is that last? What's particular about that wine or those grapes? So I, I think the Board of Fire Cabernet that we'll talk about is um, this really unique site from the Burn. It's called the Burn. The, I guess it's an ABA... It's going to be an ABA, it's still waiting approval, but we petitioned and we're waiting the final approval for that ABA. But it's in the southwestern corner of the Columbia Valley. It's very unique that it gets more uh, water like Walla Walla, so it's just a wetter area, but a little bit slightly higher clay content to the soil, so the soil stays a little bit cooler, so I think all the markers tend to be a little bit later. And 
I think because it's got this higher water holding capacity because of the clay content and more water that it's more rainfall that it sees during the season, it, the vines have more vigor. So sort of lets the vines hang on for longer and not get the bricks is a lot slower in accumulation during the season. Because it's right next to the Columbia River, it overlooks this beautiful view of the Columbia River from from the slope of the of the vineyard. It's gent, gentle south facing slopes. It gives this great moderating effect, so we don't get the freezes because we can sometimes in Washington have freezes sometimes later in October, but we don't get that there. So the fruit can just hang until we're ready to pick it. Typically, end of November or mid November is when we bring it in maybe the second week. So that's um, really late, and but you don't have any yeah. you don't have any issues with temperature, the grapes just continue ripening to perfection? No, probably, to be honest, I think from, we'll say October 1st until we pick it somewhere November 7th to November 10th, we'll say, is maybe one break's accumulation during that period. So you mentioned um, you use irrigation, but in this vineyard, you have to, can you use less irrigation because of that? more exposure to water. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I wouldn't say a lot less, but a lot less <laughs> in Washington. So we say a vine typically needs 11 to 13 inches. We get six. This vineyard's closer to that 11. So we came in this year. We had a lot of snow in Washington and had quite a bit of snow late into, actually into spring. I mean, growers were having, getting concerned that they were just not able to get into vineyards to prune when they wanted because we had so much snow. So people weren't irrigating and we were just seeing the vines, they were growing and we, it was harder to get them shut down this year. But yeah, it, I bet you they applied irrigation maybe two times. Do you like the control of irrigation or do you like the more, the more natural allowing the vineyard to develop in its own way? You find a difference in how you irrigate changes the grape growing conditions. Yeah, I, I personally love irrigation for control that we get to help control berry size, things like that. We control when to irrigate so we don't want the vines to stress during, you know, bloom to set. So that's typically when we'll give them some water. But then at set, we're able to really control through, I guess, veration, the size of the berry, which I think gives us this amazing concentration and flavor to our Cabernet especially. I think it's just very unique that we get we get that opportunity. And so um, when you bring the Cabernet Sauvignon into the winery, uh, what do you do? How do you handle the grapes when they come in? Typically, we have this very gentle receiving system that, that it's a shaker table and we're able to sort, sort the fruit as it comes in. Um, with the Born of Fire wine, we, we do some whole clusters. So if the stems are at that time of the year that we're picking are not bright green, but they're kind of roasty toasty and they give these lifts to the wines this aromatic lift and some uh, textural complexity so we'll do some whole cluster there um, but typically we'll de-stem um, gently run the fruit down the shaker table into the winery very gentle into the tank we'll pump over the tank I often like to do an ambient soak or cold soak for the first couple days just let the fruit hang out we do play with some native fermentations, or we'll inoculate at that point, and then we'll just taste every tank in the winery twice a day to just decide how much extraction we want, how much pumping over we need. 
of that. And in the reserve winery, it's a lot smaller scale, but same concept. We'll do hand punch downs. We do things like pop heads off of the barrels and turn barrels on side and ferment inside the barrel. We have some concrete tanks and some oak tanks, so we get to play around and match the fruit to the, the fermentation vessel to create this complexity to the wine. So you mentioned whole cluster fermentation. That's unusual with Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, why do you do that? Uh, just for I think it I think it just brings out this the the, the burn and that's what we're doing it on is the mm-hmm. Mortifier Cabernet it has these amazing aromatics. There it's almost perfumey quality to the fruit, and I think it has to do with the site um, and the soil. It's just the the whites coming out of there are very similar, but this really perfumey character and we find that just a little bit of stems in the ferment helps helps kind of bring that out and gives it like a nice nice beautiful roasty tannin character to the wine just for blending complexity like i said i think just being able to pick that so late the stems are of that quality that Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be afraid to use them in a fermentation so tannins for Cabernet Sauvignon are really important. So this whole cluster fermentation is a way of managing those tannins. How else do you manage tannins in Cabernet Sauvignon? I think a lot for me is how how I farm in the vineyard. I'm very big on, like I said, when I irrigate, how I irrigate. I like I like more if I leaf. I like more leafing from the in, interior of the canopy instead of on the outside. I don't like. Our sun gets very hot, and I think those fruit gets a harder tannin character that then translates to the wine. It can always taste when I have something, you know, I feel like had too much exposure. So a lot in the vineyard. I think then just the gentle receiving that we do here and not macerating the fruit a lot. I think a fair amount of our ferments do have some whole berry in the fermentation, so we're not macerating that fruit and just a real gentle pump over with a light sprinkler on the top. Just gentle throughout the whole process is, I think, key with Cabernet. And you also mentioned all the different uh, tanks that you use, concrete, oak. I mean, do you, do you sense the differences between those fermentations in different vessels? Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, I think a lot of it is temperature-related, how, how warm the ferments get in the different tanks due to just heat transfer, but I think concrete to me is just this, the tannins I think evolve similar to what what happened in a barrel because there is some micro-oxygenation that occurs, but the focus and the purity of the fruit I think really shines through, so it's just this fun, fun wine on your palate where you get, oh I see that this has some silky tannins, yet it's just very pure fruit without oak. And then in, in oak, I really like it for just a lot of structure and concentration. So that's how I use that. And stainless, I think, is just sort of the backbone of what it's pure. You get you get good temperature control. It's, it's great, too. Mm-hmm. So using all those blending components together are just super fun. And so with the Born of Fire wine, you're, you're using different fermentation vessels and then blending them together. Depends on the year, but yeah, we have that tool and we play with play with different vessels and play play with how they come together. So. Mm-hmm. And then, is it aged in new oak? Uh, yeah, so the Born of Fire Cabernet is aged in, we use light toasted Hungarian oak pension barrels, 
for that. Again, I feel like that Hungarian oak just is this beautiful, it gives this rich, nutty, nutty flavor to the wine. And it, I don't think it masks the unique um, characteristics of that fruit from that from the burn, the, the, those aromatics that I was talking about, the perfumey character. So it's all large format. And so can you distinguish uh, between French and Hungarian oak when tasting a wine? Oh, yes. And what are the differences? I think Hungarian, we're using light toasted, but typically Hungarian, I would put almost kind of in between American and French oak mm-hmm. for what it gives the wine. It's a, it's a little bit more sweetness to the palate, but it doesn't, I think, overpower the aromatics. So like some, you know, especially to a later ripening, more delicate varietal that I think American can do. But it's definitely, there's more to it, more spice and things than fresh oak. And how long do you age the wine for? It's about 10, 10 to 12 months. Okay, so that's not too long. Um, some wineries will no. age for longer than that. No. And how regularly do you no. taste it? I, I would say every couple months. When you analyse the wine, are you just analysing by taste or, or are you analysing the wine scientifically and sending the wine to the lab? And how much do you rely on that? <laughs> of course, I like my numbers a little yeah. bit, but I I tend to mostly analyze it based on flavor and taste and how it develops. I use analysis in the lab just as uh, how, how the health of the wine, more monitoring the health of the wine, how are we doing, but I don't use it for necessarily big decisions. And so what do you want the wine to taste like? Um, when you, When do you think it's ready? I think it just takes on this, when you first drain and press a a Cabernet or a wine, it, it's just all of this upfront fruit and just really young. It, it's just tight and really fruity. You taste kind of the components of, I would say, the grape more than having it married together. Then you put it in a barrel, and I think a lot of times wines get a little shocky or they close up. They The barrel, I think, gives off a lot of aromatics and flavor in the first bit and then the wine just kind of softens and comes together and becomes this whole whole experience on your on your palate and that's I think when it's time Mm -hmm. Um, longer barrel aging is great for wines that you want a lot of I think oak impact or tertiary flavors but for the for the burn I think it's all about just showcasing that unique site for Washington and just letting it be very expressive Mm mm-hmm and is it 100% Cabernet Sauvignon? The four, we put about 4% Cabernet Franc in typically. So why do you blend that small amount of Cabernet Franc? Again, I think for aromatic interest. I mean, can you tell that difference with just 4%? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think 1% is, you can definitely tell 1% too for sure and for very much so. You can completely change the wine with 4 to 5% of a blend. And with Cabernet Franc, is that ripening earlier than the Cabernet Sauvignon? They're about the same. They're, I think in Washington, they're typically about the same time. Right, so you can pick them at the same time. And, and do you co-ferment or ferment separately? Um, typically, with this wine, I do, co- I do separate and blend back. And just um, going back to the vineyard, I'd just like to talk a bit about climate change and how that's affecting growing conditions for Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, with this wine, it sounds like it's really late ripening and a cooler environment. 
But across Washington, do you find that Cabernet Sauvignon is ripening um, earlier than it used to, or that it's um, getting a bit too um, overripe? I think there have, there have been a couple of vintages that are on the warm side, um, but growers are quick to react and change their viticultural practices for those seasons. I think being able to irrigate helps. It says you can push vigor and then all your viticultural practices can be done later as far as shoot thinning and crop thinning to the more more fruit and the vigor you have on the vine, the longer you're pushing your hang time back. So I think just doing all your viticultural practices a little bit on the late side helps mitigate that effect. Mm-hmm. And I think we're always looking and exploring new growing areas within our ABA. Like I said, higher elevation sites. I love the Royal Slope up north in Washington. It's a little bit cooler. We get great hang time up there for Cabernet and being able to play around with different areas. Yeah, when I've been to Washington, um, everyone's always talking about looking for cooler sites, but it's mainly been Riesling and Chardonnay and getting higher elevation. But it sounds like you're doing that with the, the black grapes as well, like Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, yeah. When I first came to Washington, nobody was growing fruit on North Slopes, and now people are. They're looking to North Slopes at warmer sites and things like that. So I think it's great. The more we can do with clones or aspect or elevation or areas, the more blending tools we have. And that's what it's all about as a winemaker. We want options. And so what clones of Cabernet Sauvignon do you work with? Which ones do you like? I like a lot of clones, but... (laughs) near and dear to my heart is 33 190, 191 it's a winemaker's clone being that it's small clusters small berries I also love clone 2 it's a little bit more run of the mill but I think the aromatics and tannins to it are, are probably my favorite so 33 191 for concentration and 2 I guess for elegance probably my two favorites. And both of those happen to be in the Born of Fire Cabernet. And so with, just for instance, with Pinot Noir, winemakers talk about clones all the time. But with Cabernet Sauvignon, it's not really much of a topic of conversation. Why why don't uh, winemakers talk about Cabernet clones as much? I think more and more they are, uh, especially in Washington. Mm-hmm. A lot of the vineyards being planted, I think people are more aware of it. And again, for this, tool that we can use to play with a play with a blend within a vineyard and a season. People are looking to a lot more different clones. I think it's definitely a trend that's probably picked up about ten years ago and is definitely growing even with larger lower larger growers. Yeah, I think it's I think it we might just be a little bit behind on that, but as far as the Pinot Pinot people, but we're definitely playing with it mm-hmm. and talking about it more amongst my makers. And do you think that's something that will appear on the label? A lot of Pinot producers put their clones on the label to kind of give oh, the... Yeah, yeah. yeah, So we make, for Columbia Crest, we make a clonal series every year from a couple different... It depends on the vineyard. We rotate mm-hmm. the vineyard, for, but we have three that we bottle up and we'll do three three clones. Just for our Cabernet, Cabernet Club. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in that, it's really... And then just uh, one last question. Washington's still a fairly new wine region. How do you find the market for Washington wines? Where, where are your wines selling? Yeah, at Columbia Crest, we, can, we sell wine all, all over the world. Mm-hmm. Anybody in any state can find our wine. And Born of Fire is nationally 
available as well. So if you don't see it, you can ask for it. But I think people just are really catching on to the quality and the, the wines from Washington. They're, they over-deliver all the time, I think. Um, they're amazing quality. If you do them in a blind tasting, I think people would think that they're twice as much as you know they retail for. So mm-hmm. tremendous value. I think it's definitely caught on. So thank you, Katie, for joining us and for providing an interesting insight into Washington wines and Cabernet Sauvignon. Thank you.